Well, good morning. My name is Dan Vaccaro. You might think, hey, he looks kind of like that guy that was up here earlier, but a little bit younger. I'm his son. That was my dad. Uh, I never really thought I would have to say that I'm a pastor's kid, but uh, I'm a pastor's kid now. This is me and my family. That's my daughter, Nora, my wife, Miranda, my son, Ezra, and obviously me. None of them are here right now. They were here first service. They had to go home because kids need naps. Okay, it's a thing. Um, the last three years, my family and I have been serving in a country called Malawi. It's a small country in Southeast Africa, and we have been working at a school there. Now, for about the past year, we've been back in the States on what we call home assignment. It's really just time that we get to be in the U.S., bouncing back and forth between here and Buffalo, New York. Now, uh, we've been transitioning to a new ministry called Africa Inland Mission. There's two maps up on the screen. The one on the left, that's a map of Africa. So if you didn't know, now you know. All of those countries that are in color are places where Africa Inland Mission currently has missionaries. And on the right is a blow-up of Kenya. That's where we're going, the country of Kenya, specifically where that pin is, the village of Kajabe. We are going to be working at a school there. It's a uh, K-12 boarding school primarily for missionary kids. It's called Rift Valley Academy. Now, there's a variety of different reasons why you might send your kids to a boarding school from the mission field. It could just be dangerous, right? Some of these countries aren't necessarily known as safe spots to raise a family. South Sudan, definitely no one thinks like, hey, I want to raise my family in a happy place. Let's go to South Sudan. They might send their kids to a boarding school. Or it just might be that the only local schools are taught in French or taught in Swahili or any variety of other languages. And they say, you know what? I would like my kids to go to college in Europe or in the U.S. And they really need to be taught in English. Or they just want their kids to have a more uh, Western education, surrounded by peers, doing things like band or, or sports. Whatever the reason, they send their kids to Rift Valley, and we're excited, my wife and I, because we get to minister to these students at a really formative time. A lot of missionary kids, they grow up jaded, they grow up bitter, because they didn't choose this. They're being dragged overseas every couple of years, they come back to the States or wherever they're from, but they didn't get to choose that. That could, I mean, middle and high school are hard enough, right? Once you add that into the mix, it can get really difficult. So we are excited to minister directly to them. And I'm going to be teaching sixth grade. Miranda, I mean, on top of mothering our two children, will be doing a lot of mentorship, discipleship. It's a boarding school, right? There's no shortage of opportunities to get involved. After service, I'll be in this general area. Come find me. I'd love to chat with you about it. I could talk about it all day long. I can answer any questions you have. Um, no question is that dumb. Okay, you might think, like, this is a dumb question. Well, it might be, but I've, I guarantee you I've heard it before. So I'll just smile and give you grace and not make fun of you. But I will say, don't ask me if I speak African. It's not a language. Africa is not a country. Okay? That's it. That's my one pet peeve. Anyway, moving on. I'm excited this morning. Like I said to first service, that's not abnormal for me. I'm an excitable person, so it doesn't take much to get me excited. I get really excited about curling in the Olympics because I think it's cool. But I'm really excited this morning because Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, God has put this on my heart. And I, I told someone, I'm like Pastor Don. I preach myself happy. I love it so much that I get to share it. And I love being up here. I really do. And this passage has just been 
turning over and over and over in my mind. And now I get to, you know, kind of get it off my chest and share it with all of you. So my goal this morning is to be faithful to that text, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We're going to preach the word this morning. We're going to look at the word. Um, and you know, someone after first service told me, wow, that was really great. I actually paid attention. So I'm not sure what that was supposed to mean. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing for me or just sorry for everyone else who's up here. But hopefully you're able to pay attention as well. Let's dive in. We're going to start out by reading verses 1 through 3. They say this. This is in the New Living Translation if you're looking along on your phone or whatever. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So this is us right here, right? At the very beginning, great opening to a story. Once upon a time, you were dead. That's like the worst opening. No kid's book. I read a lot of kid's books. No kid's book starts that way. Once you were dead. But that's where we were. So my first point this morning is, we were dead. Dead, dead, dead. Like, no life at all. There was no pulse. Why? Well, disobedience and our many sins. I love that it says many sins. I think that is just, that's Paul just being like, hey, you know, you might say like, oh, I'm pretty good. I only do like one or two things wrong. No, many sins. Lots of things you do wrong. You are not good. And you know, Paul also says, everyone is dead. So not only is he like, hey, once upon a time you were dead, you and everybody else, we were all dead. And what's awesome is that immediately in the very first sentence of this chapter, Paul dispels, absolutely obliterates two common myths that we believe then and we believe today. The first one is that the problem in our world is always somebody else, right? And I say that and it's like, oh no, we don't really think that. But then when you think about it, we do all the time. Not just like, oh, the problem in our world is those people that are causing this big issue or those people that are fighting. The problem in our world is the guy who cut me off in traffic. The anger wasn't there until he did that, right? But was it? Because I'm pretty sure that it was. It says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and that guy wasn't in my heart. So that frustration was already in me before that happened. The second myth is that we are good people deep down. Like, at our core, we're good. We just mess up sometimes. No. I'm here to tell you this morning that's not true. We're not good people at our core. Our hearts are not good deep down. And it's kind of uncomfortable when you say that. It's like, oh, you actually have to look at yourself and think like, oh, wow, I'm not a good person. Deep down, I'm not good. Um, the reason I know this, or one of the reasons I know this, I should say, is I have a daughter, and when she was born three years ago, uh, you know, when, you're, when your first child is born, like, you're driving to the hospital. I got lost on the way to the hospital, so that was great. Um, immediately, your mind starts turning super fast with all the things you need to teach your kid, and it's super overwhelming. Like, I was fine up until she was born, and then I was like, oh boy, like, what have I done? It's a little late at that point. 
But then I'm thinking, like, when they let you leave the hospital, I was like, man, there's, like, no test. There's no, like, all right, you're good now? It was just like, okay, see ya. And I'm thinking, all the things I need to teach my daughter. I want to teach her how to ride a bike. I need to teach her how to climb a tree. I need to teach her manners and all that stuff. That's a lot. You know what I never had to teach her? Selfishness. She figured that one out all on her own. You know what else I never had to teach her? She used to do this all the time. I'm going to use this water bottle. We'd be sitting at the dinner table. We'd be eating. And she would look at me. That's what made it so much worse. She would just stare me in the eyes. And like whole plate. So, you know, I'd go pick it up. Nora, we don't do that. Do the whole, you know, she's like one and a half, whatever. She was like a cat. Like the, I'm going to stare you down. What? She didn't learn that from me, right? Like that's a nature thing, not a nurture thing. I, that was not modeled in our household. Miranda and I did not do that at dinner or at breakfast. Like we just don't throw things off the table. However, somehow she figured out how to do that. Why? Because deep down my daughter, as sweet as she is, is not good. She was dead. And I want to be careful here because what I'm not saying is that it's, impo- it's not impossible for people who are dead to do good things. There are plenty of people who are spiritually dead but are doing great things, doing good stuff. But they're still spiritually dead. And that's where we found ourselves, right? And not only were we dead, but we deserved punishment. So kick a man while he's down. We were spiritually dead. And on top of that, we deserved punishment, God's wrath. Now, I think sometimes I'm guilty of this. We kind of gloss over this part. We say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. God's wrath, like we deserved all that. Let's get to Jesus and we don't need it. But I think unless we truly take a minute to understand and to really think about what got us into this mess, it's, we don't understand what an amazing miracle it is that Christ pulled us out of it. Right? Unless we truly look at ourselves and realize how dead we were, the life that we've been given doesn't hold as much weight. So, thankfully, our passage does not end in verse 3 because it ends with death and punishment, which is never, I mean, the story didn't start out great, but thankfully it ends a lot better. So let's continue. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So my second point this morning. Once, this is us, we were dead. Now we have been delivered. But God, I think, my personal opinion, there are no two words I love in the Bible more than these. But God. Stop and think about that for a minute. We were dead, but God. But God gave us life. And think about this. But for God, we would still be dead. We were absolutely helpless. We were stuck in this state. And there was nothing that we could do about it. But we were helpless. But God gave us hope. But God. And apply that to your life. Right? 
What is your story this morning? What is your situation this morning that you can say, hey, you know what? This is happening, but God. But God. Because I guarantee you there's one there. I shared earlier, um, I grew up in this church, so a lot of people here have known me since I was really young. I used to be, you know, once I was this child that was prone to anger and would get disciplined all the time, right? I would get yanked out of service, disciplined, brought back in multiple times. Mrs. Howard was here earlier and she was like, I remember those times. I was like, yeah, me too. They hurt. (laughs) But you know what? But God, I'm not that kid anymore. Once I was dead, but now God has given me life. Once I was addicted to pornography, but God has given me freedom. It's not me, it's God, but God has done this. And you know what? It's his grace alone. It's only by God's grace. I didn't do anything to deserve that. I didn't do anything to deserve the life that God has given me. But God decided in his grace and mercy, hey, you're worth it. You're worth saving. And there's nothing I did do, nothing I can do, nothing I could ever do to deserve that. Jesus died instead of me. It's not by what I do or by what I am not doing, right? It's not by the good things that I do or the bad things that I don't do that gets me this. It's just God's grace. And my favorite part, it's past tense. It says that he loved us so much that we were dead, but he raised us from the dead. It's already happened. It's past tense. He's not waiting for us to measure up before he does it. He already did it while we were dead. And you know what? He seated us with Jesus. He seated us with Christ. So now when God looks at us, you know what he sees? Jesus. He doesn't see me. He doesn't see Dan. And thank the Lord he doesn't. When he looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees Christ's righteousness. That is an unbelievable gift. That is an absolute miracle. That when God looks at me, he sees Christ's righteousness. So, God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We are examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness. It says, so God can point to us in all future ages as those examples. This is so that that God can point to Ben And say, see what I was doing in him? He was dead. But now he's alive because I did that. It's not about us. It's about what he has done. What God has done in us. He's saying, look, I'm going to use you as an example for all the future. They're going to look back and be like, remember that guy? He was dead. There was nothing good about him. Until Christ got a hold of him. And now look. And now look what he's done. Look what he's doing right? Am I that example? Are you? 
can God point to you and say, you're an example of my incredible grace and kindness? When it's talking about as shown in all that he has done for us, it's not talking about all the blessings that he has given us. I have a wonderful family, right? That's an incredible blessing. Not what this is talking about. Wonderful home, great job, fulfilling community, wonderful church. All those things are amazing. They're all blessings from the Lord. That's not what he has blessed us with here. What he's talking about is his incredible kindness, the examples that we are, is that he has given us life. This is the miracle. This is it right here. This is the pinnacle. And, you know, you might be thinking, okay, but Dan, like, my conversion story, the way I came to Christ, wasn't this miraculous thing. I just, it was kind of just normal. God didn't, like, save me from my depravity. I wasn't, you know, addicted to alcohol and on the streets, and God rescued me from that. It was just normal. Well, what I would say to you is that some people have incredible childbirth stories, right? You hear about them all the time in the news. Ladies like in line at Dunkin' Donuts and gives birth right there. You're like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. Or like in the car on the way to the hospital, they like pull over and she gives birth in the car. Oh man, wow. One time when we lived in Malawi, a friend of ours was a nurse. And she told the story of this girl that came to the clinic on a minibus. If you don't know what a minibus is, think like 15 passenger van with most of the seats kind of taken out. Some of them are still there. And then put about 40 people in it. Plus, like, we're talking goats, chickens, maybe a bicycle inside or outside, doesn't matter. My favorite is that people would hang fish from the out, like, out the windows. I'm not sure if it was to, like, dry the fish, to bake the fish, but then they would eat them. It was kind of gross. Now, imagine that. So, loud, hot, smelly. This girl shows up at the clinic from a minibus, makes it about two steps, drops her baby right on the sidewalk. Okay? Nurses have to come running out with a blanket like to scoop up the baby, bring it inside. Baby's fine. Mom's fine. That's an incredible story of childbirth. Right? Now, I have never given birth. Let's get that out right now. Never done it. My wife has done it twice. Uh, and she's amazing in every way. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm really, really glad the last like 15 minutes of childbirth were not spent in a minibus. Okay? It's not exactly like a calm time. But you know, is my, are my two kids any less alive than that child? Because my kids were born in a hospital. They were born pretty normally. Does it make them any less alive? I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that life is a miracle. Period. End. Right there. Done. Regardless of how miraculous the story is around it, the miracle is that we have been given life. Spiritually, it's the exact same. The miracle is that we have been given life because we've all been saved from the same thing. Our own death and punishment. That's what we've been saved from. All of this, this is verses 1 through 9, brings us to verse 10. Verse 10 is the culmination of this passage. It says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is us. We were dead. Then we were delivered. 
And now we have do. D, 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 okay, jacking. I'm typically not the guy that like dives really deep and looks in to see what the word is in Greek and like try to figure it out. However, this time I did, so I can't really say that. But the word there for masterpiece is poema, right? It means masterpiece or this, the ultimate work. Think, if you think of an artist, the pinnacle of what they've made. And it says, we, that's you and that's me, we are God's masterpiece. The pinnacle of what he made. His ultimate work. And you know what's better? The other place that word is used is in Romans chapter 1, and it says this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. That everything, that's this. Through everything God made, through his masterpiece, through this ultimate work, through you, through me, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. That's us. Through us, do people see God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature? Do they see that in my life? Do they see it in yours? We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. That's the, we've been given life. He created something that was not there. There was no life. Christ gave us life. It wasn't like we, were, we just needed like some refreshing, right? You can't go and like freshen up a dead body. It's still dead. That was us. But Christ gave us life to do things. And I, I really love this word, things, because it's so vague. To do things. And then, I mean, it's qualified. To do good things. That's like the most vague word Paul could have used, to do stuff. Like we were created to do stuff. But I want to be very clear. We're not saved by what we do. But once we have been saved, we are supposed to do something. When I was growing up, Saturdays were for work. We did lots of chores on a Saturday. And I'm talking like, not like when I was a teenager, seven. Okay, when I was seven, I was digging trenches across my backyard because my dad was like, we need to dig a trench from this side of the yard to the other side of the yard. I still don't understand why. They'd make a thing called a trench digger. Okay, but we did not use that. We used me. We would work all day. Saturdays, my friends would call, be like, hey, Dan, you want to come play? No, can't, sorry. Maybe at three. That's when we would, you know, be released to go have fun. And, you know, I would always ask my mom, mom, can I get an allowance? We're doing all this work. Can I get an allowance? No. You know what she would tell me? You get to eat. And she was sort of serious, sort of not. I mean, I knew then, and I know now, my mom was going to feed me anyway. It's not like she was like depriving me of food of like, no, you cannot eat unless you finish your chores. That was not the case. However, what she would always say, chores are part of being in the family. You're in the family, you have to do this. Like that's just part of being in our family. Sometimes I'd be like, well, I don't want to be in your family anymore. Okay, I want to go down the street where I get five bucks for every hour I do stuff. Like, but you know, we're part of the family. The things that we do, the good things in this passage, is not, we don't earn anything by that. 
but they're part of being in God's family. Our salvation was not meant solely for our own benefit. If you look back way into Genesis, when God made a covenant with Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you and your family so that all of the peoples of the world will be blessed through you. That extends to us. We have been blessed. We have been given life. That blessing is so that we can bless other people. So I want to look again at verse 10, but in a different version. So it was a new living. I'm going to put it up there in the ESV. Because I like something about what this says. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, you might be thinking, Dan, we get it. Like, we were dead. God gave us life. Wonderful. We're supposed to do things. Okay. But then you're a missionary. Like, of course you're going to say we are supposed to do things. And this is the point where you're like, God wants us all to be missionaries. That's not what I'm saying. Not at all. Because you know what? The most significant thing in my life is not that I'm a missionary. The most significant thing in my life is not where I work or what I do or the person I'm married to. The most significant thing in my life is not my children. The most significant thing in my life is that God has given me life. That is the most significant thing. That's the ultimate. That's it right there. And it's true for you as well. The most significant thing in your life is that God has given you life. That you were dead. Once you were dead, but God, through his grace, gave you life. The reason I like this version is that it has that phrase at the end, that we should walk in them. In the New Testament, when it talks about walking in something, it's talking about a way of life. How are you living? How are we acting? It's not talking about your job. It's not talking about your role or your vocation. It's much, much smaller than that. It's talking about your attitude, your demeanor, the way you treat people. How are you living? Can God point to you and say, this is an example of my incredible grace and kindness? See what I'm doing here? Can he point to you and say that? Can God point to you and say, this is my masterpiece, my ultimate work? When I was in college, I was an RA, so I had, you know, 30 or so freshman guys that lived on the floor with me. One night, they wanted to do impress. They were, you know, making fun of people and doing impressions of different people on campus. And one of them was like, hey, hey, do Dan's walk, do Dan's walk. Dan's walk, what are you talking about? Up until that point in my life, I had zero idea that I have a very distinct walk. Did not know. Now, I've told this story several times to people, and everyone that knows me has been like, <laughs> you didn't know that? Like, of course you do. I was like, I do? My parents even one time, I was like walking across a dark field. So it's dark out. And they're like, oh yeah, we saw the way your shadow was moving. We knew it was you because of the way you walk. I did not know this. Now, of course, after this, you guys are all going to be like staring at me like, well, how does he walk? What does he do? Does his left foot come up higher? Like, what is that? I don't know. I couldn't explain it to you. I don't know what it looks like. I just know that I do it. Whatever. But you know what? Apparently... People can recognize me by the way that I walk. Is that true spiritually? Is the way that I walk, the way that I'm living, recognizable to people? Do they say, hey, you know what? We can see that God is doing something there because of the way he's living. Is that true of you? 
Is God doing something in your life and you're walking in that, you are living that out, that people can look and say, wow, you are an example of God's incredible grace. Once you were dead, but God has given you life. So, how are you walking? You were dead. Once you were dead, but God has given you this life. Now, when I ask myself, the reason this passage has been sticking with me is because I've been stuck on that. Okay, I think a lot of times I fool myself into thinking that, like, I'm a pretty good person on my own, right? That I'm, I'm okay. I mean, I mess up sometimes. Like, I might get angry, but for the most part, I'm okay. Until one time a couple of months ago when I was disciplining my daughter. I forget what it was about. Something stupid, I'm sure. But we were going round and round, and she was, Now, my daughter has this incredible gift that I also had when I was a child of being able to go from absolute temper tantrum, screaming, kicking, thrashing, to perfectly calm in like 0.4 seconds. And this is what happened, right? So I'm holding her. She's screaming, kicking. Daddy, you're not being very nice to me right now. You're not being kind. It's like, oh. Talking about the audible voice of God. I was like, oh, that hurts as a dad. You're like, and I had to be like, you know what, Nora? You're right. And I'm sorry. Because I wasn't. At that moment, was I being an example of the grace that God has given me? No. No, because I was annoyed. I was annoyed with her. Is the same true for you? Are there times in our lives where we fool ourselves into thinking that we're pretty good? But really, someone has to say, hey, you know what? You're not. You're not acting like it right now. You're not walking in those good things that God has prepared for you. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, okay, you know what? Truthfully, Dan, I think I'm dead. Like the way you're describing that, like, I'm dead. Well, then I would say to you, wake up. Like, come to life after. I will be right here. You come find me. Come find anyone with a name tag. I don't think there's anything we would love more than to share with you the incredible grace that God has for you. Like, and we would just welcome you into the life that God has. Or you might be sitting here and thinking, okay, yeah, you know, Dan, I'm going to go and I'm going to go think about this. I'm going to go, that really gave me a lot to think about. Well, I would challenge you to go a little bit further. And I would challenge you to ask somebody. Ask somebody close to you. If you're married, ask your spouse. If you're not married, ask a close friend, a brother, sister, parent. Because they might have a different story. You might think like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm, I'm a good example of, of God's grace. And they might think, <laughs> really? You? But then I would challenge you even further to take that before the Lord. And say, okay, God, this isn't what I want to be. I want to be this example. I want to walk in this grace. I want to live according to this, but right now I'm not. Can you help me get there? How are you walking this morning? You know, I thought I was pretty good. Until my two-year-old daughter called me out and said, you're not being kind. My prayer for us this morning is that we would all be examples that God could point to us in all future ages and say, see what I did there? They were dead, but I 
gave them life. That's what he's done for me. That's what he wants to do for you. So I would ask you, let's, would you stand with me? And we'll close in prayer. Dear Lord, God, you are so good to us. God, it is an unbelievable blessing that I don't want to discount, that I don't want to overlook, that you have given us life. God, that you have given me life, that I was dead. I deserved nothing, and you gave me everything. Lord, and it was by your grace. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you, Lord, that you clearly state that we are your masterpiece. Lord, that we've been given life in Christ Jesus to do these good things that you've prepared for us, that we should walk in them. Lord, help us to walk in those things. Help us to live according to the amazing fact that we have been given life when we did not deserve it, when we deserved nothing. Lord, let that, let that truth sink into our hearts. Let it sit there. Let us internalize it. Lord, we pray all of these things in the, the precious and mighty name of your Son. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a good Sunday, everybody.